We all know that cars mean traffic, errands, and budgets. But they should also represent freedom and fun. Join us as we work to find everyone a car they'll love. I'm Paul. I'm Todd. And this is the Everyday Driver Car Debate. If you listen to our last episode, we told stories that I, I guess if I had to give it a title, I would call it the Corvette Curse. Because we I, had so much madness in the shooting of Corvettes. Yeah, I wish there wasn't, but and, and man. It, it, and I'm not a guy that really believes in those kind of things. But at the same time, we're just sitting here going, okay, what is going on in the universe? And, and here's the crazy thing. I think it continues. <laughs> because you and I – happy Friday, by the way. Thank you for listening right, to the podcast. Right. While you're listening to this, we are actually shooting the last part of the Corvette film because if you listened last time, we had, a, we had a couple cars break down. One was the 68, the first of the third gen. I like that the fan belts tried to gift wrap the engine. Yes, they did. They did a great job. Like just, bow tie. They, they were trying to be supportive of the engine. They were. Yeah, exactly. It so anyway. did like, pull the bearing out of the water pump, the numbers matching water pump, mm-hmm. by the way, that is only on the car if you're a 97.1 point. Show winning car. Yeah, there's all that. So anyway, so yeah. so we're reshooting that car as you listen to this podcast. And we are we can't be more excited to get done with that car because I actually think the longer we have stuff waiting to shoot, the more chance we have for weirdness to go on. Because you and I decided to take a day off yesterday and go uh-huh. for a bike ride. Yeah. We went down an amazing uh, mountain bike ride called Wasatch Crest. It does exactly what the name suggests. It goes along the, the tip of the Wasatch Mountains like between right Salt Lake and Parks. It's, it's spectacular right now. The and leaves are amazing. Yeah, the fall colors were beautiful. And, and, and please understand – this is not some hardcore, big, chucking jumps, crazy thing we've never done before. We've no. never done the trail before, but it is well within the range right. of everything we've ever ridden. The type of terrain is very Absolutely. similar to what we're used to doing. Absolutely. And yet, yeah. somehow, on a 15-mile ride in the first mile, I got chucked off of my bike and hit my head on a pine tree. And if you ever want to know what a, what a helmet is good for on a mountain bike, I could show you mine because it's cracked on the front and then it is spiderwebbed like you threw a styrofoam cooler at a tree. It is spiderwebbed inside. That was in the first mile. Yeah. You have no idea what it's like to hear the accident of your closest friend. And by the way, we had GoPros running mm-hmm. with the chest mount and everything. I heard your shout. I heard the crack and then I was around the corner, and you were already sitting up, but I didn't get to actually see Thank the accident. God, I was sitting up because I, my my body it was, was scary was folding toward the earth, and I realized because I'm coming face first at a tree. I realized I'm not going to be fully on the ground before that tree comes up. And then the next thing that happened was tree versus helmet. So Ugh. luckily, I had a helmet on. Ugh. So then, uh, and here's Yuck. the thing: we we did all the little checks for you know weird anomalies of my head, and I mean my head's weird enough, but you know my, my you know my point that I didn't have weird dilation of the eyes or you know blurred vision. Fortunately, Todd was cracking jokes after he got past that initial pain. Yes. He was cracking jokes right away, and I thought, all right, you're going to be fine. So we kept writing. I asked him how many fingers he was holding up, and he got it right. And and then in, within the last two miles, Paul gets chucked off of his bike, <sighs> and just this side of breaks his shoulder. Yeah, I'm I'm sitting here. We're, we're nursing our wounds. We're walking wounded. <laughs> we kind and... of limped into the podcast studio tonight, but that's okay. That's all right. Yeah. So we're very excited to be finished shooting Corvettes. <laughs> we, we may not do anything else between now and then because apparently <laughs> that's not supposed to happen. So anyway, so that's going to happen. Yeah, exactly. Then that movie goes fully into post-production. I'm, I'm already editing, but it goes fully into post-production for a December release. We are also working on season four because that's also a January release. 
and what a great way with you, you know, having almost a near concussion and me with a separated shoulder. So I'm sitting here with my right arm strapped to my body <laughs> and Todd had to put the headphones on my head because I only have one hand right now. Yes. Which, grab a, grab a, a, a pair of full-size, like, hardcore headphones and try to put those on with one hand. It's hard. It's, it's hard difficult. because the spring-loaded, they I, keep snapping I, back. I and saw him having a fight with it. I said, can I just do that for you, please? <laughs> anyway, so here we are. Welcome to the podcast. Happy Friday. We have two really cool car debates. We've got Pat writing in. in Chicago with a string of odd cars he's owned, and I'm excited about this one. Do you have stuff for him? I do. And also, we've got James writing in. Uh, He's got a four-car garage at age 24 and asking about his project car, and boy, do I have thoughts. Myriad of cars. All right, let's get right to it with Pat in Chicago. He said, don't really have a car question. He just wanted to share the list of cars that he's owned, which many of you do in the car debates. It's a throwdown challenge, though. The thing here is he's saying... If I buy something else that is as weird as what I've owned, can you guys come up with anything? This is a throwdown. It's like a gauntlet email. Right. All right. So imagine this. 1954, three-quarter tone, the International Harvester pickup truck mm-hmm. that he should have but never did restore. Mm-hmm. And then I don't think anybody has ever written to us having owned a 74 VW Thing. No, it gets better, though. It's the 74 Volkswagen Thing that the owner prior to him painted purple. That's Things my, my should new, be purple. That's my new favorite thing right there. And he drove it year-round in Chicago. Imagine a nasty Chicago winter, and b- beside you is a Volkswagen purple <laughs> thing. He said he blew out the top one night on the Dan Ryan Expressway on the south side. And then he started working for a car rental firm. He got to take a car home every night, and he didn't own a car for eight years. So then his next car after that was a 69 Pontiac Catalina convertible that he painted Corvette red, the Mille Miglia red, actually. And he said, then I went mostly conventional as he had a daily 100-mile-each-way commute from Milwaukee to Chicago. Mm. Holy cow. So that was the 1988 Chevy S10 pickup with four-wheel drive. Yes. Had that for a few years, blew the engine on that, (laughs) then went to a Land Rover Discovery. Uh, By the way, way, side (sighs) note, I like that you blew the engine on something and your solve was one of the most notoriously unreliable cars in history. I blew the engine of that. I'm going to get a Land Rover Discovery (laughs) to solve my problem. That that right there makes me laugh. Anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Then he went to a Subaru Baja Turbo. Interesting choice. Subaru Baja Turbo. Now, I'd like to know the sales numbers on those things. Yes. I really would. You could probably count them on hands and fingers. Yeah. All right. So now he's driving a Honda Element with a manual transmission. All of these are odd. All of these are unbelievable. It's great. So listen to his motorcycles. He also is obsessed about bicycles, too. He's got a 98 Honda Shadow Aero 1100. (laughs) He just got a 74. You remember those front-wheel drive motorhomes from the 70s, the GMC Eleganza, that were all one capsule shape? I still think they're cool. Yeah. Front-wheel drive. He's got the, the Toronado 455 Rocket V8. And then he loves bicycles. 84 Schwinn Latour Lux. What else? A 94 Barracuda Dos Equis. Where does all this stuff live? Rally, New Albion. Unbelievable. I, your taste is eclectic, but just on the side of quirky. But it's it's curated in that's, a way. That's the key thing. It's curated. It, it's very much like I went out and got this interesting thing that, by the way, nobody has. It is super strange. But once I started explaining it to you, you go, I kind of get it. It's all that stuff. None of Pat's requirements here are the typical, hey, I'm going to track it or, hey, I Not need a commute. All. He'll drive a VW thing on a commute? Totally. So then the, he's up for anything. So the question is, essentially, he's asked us, thinking about getting another car, 
what could I add to my life experience that is essentially that fits, that is as quirky as the other stuff I've owned? I have three I like, and I have a fourth wildcard favorite. Really? Yes. I started really kind of conservative in the quirky world, but it was definitely leaning more towards styling, as you will see. Sure. But then I do think I have the car because it does fit with something that you can drive. It's it's a fun sports car. It doesn't have a lot of power, but we have driven one, actually. Okay. And I want to go there. I'm going to start out with a Volvo C30. Mm-hmm. Quirky enough from a styling standpoint. One of my standpoint. four right there. Volvo no C30. No kidding. Absolutely. It's got to be on the list. Completely. I've always thought about these cars that the exterior looks better than you having fun on the interior. I guess the interior doesn't really match the coolness of the exterior. Yeah, people are having more fun looking at it. I agree with that. It's okay. It's like a Lamborghini Countach. People are having more fun looking at you than you are actually driving. This is the first time in history, by the way, that the Volvo C30, then there was an equal sign to Lamborghini Countach. It's the first time ever. I know it's a non sequitur. But I still follow you, for sure. (laughs) All right, so the C30, and I thought, interesting, you know, they're going to be reliable enough. Yeah. They're going to be a fine car to drive, mm-hmm. but just kind of the modern quirkiness. I didn't go back to the Volvo P1800, you know, all the way back there, but yeah. it does pull some lines out of there, which led me to this, Patrick. I'm going after the Volkswagen Scirocco. Ooh. Owners who drive these cars are obsessed and they love them. Even the mm-hmm. first gen mm-hmm. with 90 horsepower, we'll say. They love these cars. They're obsessed with them. I think they're cool. I think VW has actually missed a chance to bring that third generation that we never got. That looks gorgeous. The first two we did, and they were, you know, went from the round to the square headlights. And Mm -hmm. people who are Scirocco enthusiasts can tell me way more about Scirocco's than you ever need to care to hear. Ever need to know, yes. But the Scirocco is. I like it. I like it. I think it's actually better than the Golf in a lot of ways as far as the platform to be an enthusiast car. Mm. I think Mm. VW should have taken that further. I think they should resurrect it as a fourth gen and bring it to the U.S. because there's so many things they could do with it. I like the look of the third generation a lot better, but even the first two... People talk about Scirocco's wistfully That's in the nostalgic, yeah, I yeah. wish I still had my 90 horsepower Scirocco <laughs> You're right. with the 1.8 right. engine and oh, I can wrench on it. The days of 90 horsepower. And it was useful and I loved it and on yeah. and on and on they go. Yeah, okay, interesting. And so I thought that's interesting enough, Okay. but then the car that I think you need to own is the first gen Mazda RX-7. Rotary engine. Mm, okay. They're interesting. They're quirky. You don't see them anymore. You're right. You're we drove right. a pristine 1983 it was gorgeous. car. It was gorgeous, yeah. That was, you could see where the generation of Mazda's, you know, their whole tagline, the zoom, zoom thing, and where yeah. The, yeah, yeah. the bones of their racing, you could feel just the beginnings of that in this car. Mm-hmm. And then 100 horsepower, okay, but it's got a rotary engine, yeah. which I feel like fits very well within your different curated kind of proclivities i'll say mm-hmm. i like it because I like it. i'm not here just to come up with weird cars like an opal gt from the early 70s just, you know that's just the they had lights flipped the sideways just because yeah, you know just you. weird stuff i'm i'm thinking okay it's gonna be you take care of it they're gonna be somewhat reliable and they're gonna be interesting and people will have stories about wow i used to have that or i knew mm-hmm. somebody or that rx7 you know, seared in my memory in a certain way, and I love sports cars after that, or something like that. Okay. And they're all, right. all all three of these are going to be fun to drive, fairly reliable, very unique as far as a styling perspective. Mm-hmm. And I think you should take a look, especially that RX-7, the first-gen RX-7, before it I got like it. a little too smoothed out and, you know, sort of the three-quarter-size yeah. sports car that most of us could fit in, but not yeah. everybody. 
I like it. Very good. I have I have three to discuss that are in three different categories of types of cars because you haven't you've pretty much just said what should my next car be. You haven't said it needs to do blank. There's no price. So we're budget. all over the place. There's no so requirements. I have three that are all three different cars. One of them is that Volvo C30, and then I have the wild car that I think is just my go get one of these. You'll be the only one. So the Volvo C30 is definitely on there. You want a front-wheel drive, you know, usable hatchback that's unique. You don't see a whole lot of them. Quirky, fun, Volvo C30. And I I say if you can, I actually think you should go before the uh, front fascia refresh. I think they look a little better. first gen. They first dropped them. They did a front fascia refresh that's nice, but I actually think they're they're even rarer and cooler the very early one. Mm. So that's that one. I'm with you. You want a sports car? You want a rear-wheel drive sports car? I can do that too. Pontiac Solstice Coupe. The there Coupe specifically. Go. Don't get go. seriously. I, I know this. The the convertibles are nice. They are. They're nice. They're cool. They're they're inexpensive now. They turn your head. That's great. Nobody's seen a coupe. What are those going for? Twenty five. Like yeah. people are actually selling them. Without Either side a, of twenty five. A collector markup because you know, these are really yeah. There, there are those people, but but I would say I would say honestly twenty five to thirty five. You have your pick. Then you have the weird guy that's selling one for fifty because he and you'll just continue to let him dream. Exactly, that'll keep sitting there and be for sale. But yeah, I mean, and here's here's how much I think the Pontiac Solstice Coupe is cool. I'm shopping for a new winter car because Spot the Mini is headed out. Okay, right, right. I just one day got lost in Pontiac Solstice Coupes and then thought, why am I looking at rear-wheel drive sports cars for my winter car? Because that's who I am. I'm not going to do it, but I did think about it. So anyway, Pontiac Solstice Coupe. We need Coupe. this car to do camera duty, too. I know. Exactly. It's not going to work. So anyway, so Pontiac Solstice Coupe, I think, is your sports car. Need a truck? Mm. I can do that as well. All right. How about the 2009, because you need to, don't get earlier, 2009 and up Chevy Avalanche. Really? You have a Honda Element. You've had really? all these unique cars. The Chevy Avalanche is the, the Chevy Suburban with the weird uh, back. Uh, it's not quite a full-size bed unless you fold in the uh, the rear uh, the firewall. Seat. Well, the, the firewall seat. and then the seats there. Yeah, exactly. The back seat folds flat, and now you have an, an eight-foot bed. Things are measured in plywood sizes for totally. whatever yeah, reason. Because that's all we buy is sheetrock and plywood. I, all right. of us. That's the only reason you buy and a truck. Golf but then you can close that up. My dad's, my dad's had one forever. And it's just run. It's just been reliable. It actually has a pretty good ride, a better ride than pickups of the same era because it's on the Suburban chassis and not a pickup chassis. And if you go 09 and up, I think it starts in 09, you get rid of the weird extra body cladding down low. But it's still right, not right. common. You don't see a ton of them. So Pontiac designers came over and said, you know what this truck needs is cladding. It body cladding and bulbous weird uh, knobs on the interior. None of that. So anyway, <laughs> so Chevy Avalanche. But my favorite... Okay, all right. My favorite. I don't know what category it's in. Don't care. Just get one because you'll never see another one. Get yourself an Isuzu Via Cross. Oh, no. Yes. Oh. Yes, yes, please do. <laughs> you were looking for an opportunity to bring that car up. I, I wasn't, actually. It. I was going with quirky, interesting, unique, and I hit the Chevy Avalanche, and I went, I can do better. Wow, Isuzu Via Cross. There was a, there was a beautiful one. I have a weird soft spot for this car too. But there's a there was a beautiful one I on can't Bring a Trailer or Justify recently actually. that actually looked probably better than they looked in the showroom inexplicably, and it went for like sixteen or twenty grand on Bring a Trailer. And I thought I like them, but I don't like them that much. But but it was tempting. <laughs> I, I have to say I did drool on that page. So anyway, but weird. the Isuzu Via Cross. That's got to be just a styling thing alone. You for could you do then. whatever you want in that car. You could you can bomb around in the, in the, the trees. Specs in it. are could, not amazing, but it's just interesting and unique. And I would own one just to say I have it. 
That kind of made me think of another car, actually. Since you had that 88 Chevy S10, what about the Cyclone and the Typhoon from that era? Sure, Especially the pickup truck that is just, it was such an exercise in why? (laughs) It is the definition of what happened while I was away. I think it'll tow a couple of feathers and maybe some paper. But otherwise, it was just this cool four-wheel drive, burnout machine. Explore body flex Uh, in that car, yeah. Interesting. Cyclone or the Typhoon, you never see those anymore. You don't, but a Suzu Via Cross, you don't see Mm. either. I'm staying right there. I think that's my Although what I do like is I think all these cars do fit in to the, you don't see them, but they're reliable enough. They're not Mm -hmm. just the crazy... You know, we're not suggesting the BMW Isetta here. Like, true, you know, true, true. Yeah, yeah. Cruise away to work and that thing. You yeah. know, we're we're suggesting genuine They're cars, all genuinely usable, and they were yep. fun Great. and useful for whatever the purpose was in that day. I mean, designers and companies were serious about these cars, mm-hmm. rather than just, you know, what we should do. This little sketch came in. We should build that. Well, but I didn't say Pontiac Aztec for the laugh either. Oh, I mean, I'm not yeah, you know, putting you in something I think will knowingly be terrible. Hopefully, you know, we'll never do that yeah, to anyway. you. <laughs> Interesting, though. I, I think this could keep going, actually. I think we could keep coming up with cars. And I know we're going to get letters. We're well, going to get people saying, Those of you what listening about are going, blank? why on earth didn't uh-huh. you put, what did, why on earth didn't you put Pat in one of these? We will get those emails for sure, which is great. I love that. Pat, this is fantastic. I like that your email got us thinking completely away from sort of the, the foregone conclusions, I completely. guess. Completely, yeah. It's fun. And so if you do, Pat, I will say, write to us with... Your thoughts on all of these cars, yay or nay, for whatever reason. And then if you do end up getting one of these, I'll be curious as to why why that made the connection for you. Yeah, yeah. And we say it every time. If you guys have your own car debate, please write to us at EverydayDriverTV at Gmail. If you forget the TV, we didn't get that email. Some poor person with EverydayDriver at Gmail gets email. They have no idea why it's coming in. I should write them and tell them why. But anyway, (laughs) EverydayDriverTV at Gmail is the email address to get to us directly, or you can do it through the website, EverydayDriver.com. I will say something we say before, but a conversation between you and I happened earlier that made me think of this. I should say it again. Okay. I'm serious when I say this. We do read them all. Agreed. Oh, yeah. There's a lot going on. Like last week when we were shooting Corvettes, no reading of email occurred, okay? Sometimes it takes a little bit, but we do read them all, and we put them in the queue, and we star ones we like. And right now we're dealing with about a month or six weeks between when you send in and when stuff winds up on the podcast. That varies. It's not a hard and fast rule. We're getting so many more than we can do on the podcast, and all I have to say to that is thank you. We are reading – one of the two of us doing this podcast is reading every single one you send in. And we're thrilled. And I will say, don't let that stop you from writing in because we no, do want to hear your story. Absolutely. We do read it. Absolutely. And then it's just forthcoming. Like Todd said, it gets in the queue, but please don't let that stop you from writing and telling us your story or just dropping us a line. Hey, guys, yeah. here's what I'm thinking. Here's on my mind. Because some of those questions are actually turned into Topic Tuesday questions. That's true. That's so very keep true. that yeah. in mind as well. If you want to kind of morph it into less of a personal debate, but more about a hey, I'm kind of generally thinking this, that's what I'm starting to curate as well and pulling mm-hmm. topics out of people's emails. It's great stuff. Thinking, wow, what a great commentary on this thing, you know, mm-hmm. like Chevy SSRs or whatever it is. Perfect. Yeah, why not? That, Pontiac that's Aztecs. Necessary. Yeah. 
you know, apparently they all live in Utah. That's didn't you discover that? I, I here's the thing: living in L.A. I <laughs> after the couple of years that they were new, where did they go? Then you never saw them. And then I moved here, and the first winter I did in Utah, I think I saw six different ones that winter, and I was like, well, they all came here. Well, there they, they are. All became somebody's. I don't care anymore. Winter beater because yeah. they've got the body cladding, so people can run into them. You don't care if it rusts into pieces. It's a Pontiac Aztec. Good news, everybody. Yeah, the Aztec is not Todd's next car. No, I no, can no. tell you for sure. He is currently searching. I do know which one he's sniffing around. I, here's the thing. I still would kind of like to get, I have to say it, I'd kind of like to get a cheap Phaeton. Somebody, somebody along the line said we oh, should I do a GoFundMe just to try to get a cheap Phaeton just to see if it runs. And there's a part of me that thinks that's actually a really great idea. But I'm, I'm actually, I am trying to shop something that I will enjoy that we can also double as a camera vehicle. So shopping is very specific right now that's ongoing, which means I'm also not getting a Pontiac Aztec, which I did think about for a minute for the laugh. And then I thought, that laugh dies quickly, and then yes. I'm stuck with a Pontiac Aztec. So I'm not doing that then either. Then the laughter you hear will we'll be everybody know. laughing at oh, you. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It'll it be it the clown music when I drive down the street. It, yeah. it, it, won't no, it will no longer be the, hey, we're in solidarity with you. It'll just be like, yeah. They're just laughing at me now. Why yeah, did you do that? For sure. Can I just remind you, $700 per corner for that air suspension in the Phaeton. Just, no, 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 just to no, put no, that out there. No, no. If you're going to remind me, remember that it's $900 per quarter. Oh, was I wrong? Oh, it wasn't $700. Oh, it was even more than I thought. And, and it was oh. when you replace the transmission, it'll be nine to ten grand if the transmission dies. The car you got for four or yeah. five, that, many of you, thank you, many of you, including Tyler, who works at Bring a Trailer, sent me the Bring a Trailer posting of a Phaeton, 04 Phaeton that went this week. And to my shock and horror, <laughs> it sold for nearly 15 grand. You're kidding me. How and many I'm, miles, and I'm so, I don't, Was I don't, it pristine? I, honestly, or? I don't care. Well, Because what I'm concerned about is that cheap Phaetons may take a turn the other direction. And I will simultaneously <laughs> laugh and pass out because, wow. Because that's going to turn into a $30,000 car immediately with no. the maintenance that goes into it. <laughs> I bought it for 15 and then I needed a transmission for 10 and $900 per corner air suspension and some other things went wrong just because they did. It's the upkeep on that car that's going to be there the problem. $90,000 of Jettas. I'm still fascinated. I'm still fascinated by it. Jetta really XL. Am. Yep, absolutely. We've got to take a quick break. We'll be right back. All right, this is a 30-second commercial, and I'm going to throw a lot of numbers at you. But please, stay with me. In just 15 minutes, you could save 15% or more on car insurance. This company's been offering great rates and great service for over 75 years. And anytime you need help, you can speak to one of their trained specialists 24-7. The company, you guessed it, is GEICO. Go to GEICO.com today. Our sponsor, Wrangler, has given us slightly different copy for our ad, so we realize there's only one way to handle this. We have to bring back the voice. Everybody has a favorite pair of jeans, the pair that fits perfectly and always looks great, the pair you wear out at night, at home, on the couch, at work, wherever. They're the go-to, and you can't underestimate their importance. No one knows this better than Wrangler, the authority on jeans. Using their expertise in comfort and durability, Wrangler jeans are made for the adventurers, the go-getters, the folks who like to keep moving, whether you ride a bike, a bronc, a skateboard, or even drive a car. You could be a person that just wanders the earth looking for we're not sure what. These are still the jeans for you. Classic or modern styles, a range of fits, even vintage re-releases, with a price that works for you. Wrangler has something for everybody. Visit Wrangler.com and check out their great selection of jeans, shirts, pants, outerwear for men and for women. New styles, great fits. Wrangler. Real, comfortable jeans. That was proper. Yeah. 
can't believe it. That Gerald is presenting the quarterly budget report with finger puppets? Look, here comes a 1.7% decrease in fixed overhead. Hello, everybody. No, I can't believe how easy it was to save hundreds of dollars on my car insurance with Geico. Who are you? The projected increase in organic Q3 revenue. Hooray! Believe it, Geico could save you 15% or more on car insurance. There are two podcasts from Pro Football Focus coming your way. They have the NFL podcast where each week they grade every player on every play of the NFL season and give you an inside look at the game that nobody else can rival. Then check out their Forecast podcast where they give you the best analytics and gambling tips in the football world. So check out the Pro Football Forecast, NFL, and Forecast podcast weekly on Podcast One. While you're there, rate that show and rate this one. James R. writes to us, not telling us where he's from, but he dives right into his car debate yeah. with the four-car garage at age 24. Wow. Okay. I, I aspire to a four-car four car right now. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, I aspire to that right now. <laughs> Kidding me? That'll be nice. This is amazing. All right. So he's been wrenching on cars as long as he can remember. He's currently up to four vehicles, two running and driving, one mid-restoration, and one waiting to be worked on, which mm -hmm. I kind of think is where the discussion is around, actually. For sure, for sure. But the question about this is, what should I do with that potential restoration? Mm -hmm. He likes these cars. He's got them for a reason. But it's kind of like, what should I actually do with these four cars? Yeah, let, let's cover the stuff he has that runs real quick. And that is, he's got a 2001 Audi A6. And then following that is the paragraph-long list of stuff that's been done to it. Now, it runs, mm -hmm. but, I mean, we're talking about uh, six-speed swap, which is very cool, by the way. Coilovers, uh, custom wheels, on and on it goes. That is a daily run Copper car. metallic paint job? Yeah. Wow. That's very cool. Send photos, by the uh, way. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, second running car is a 2012 GMC Sierra 2500 uh, HD diesel, so that's very cool. That's his daily driver. That is the truck that does all, so yes. that's kind of cool. Yes. I like that. Uh, he has a mid-restoration going on a Chevy C20 pickup. The guys that like those love those. They are cool, the actually. 1963 Chevy C20, so that's going on. Uh, so he's working on that, doing everything you can imagine, five-speed, lowering, uh, six-lug six conversion with disc brakes. I mean, he's going hardcore. Which leads drive us, nice. It'll be great, yeah. which leads us to the one he's debating now. He has just picked up a 1985-and-a-half Porsche 944 with the engine already in it from an 87944S. Yeah. This is where the conversation begins. Yeah, it's a twin cam 2.5 swapped into it. Now the car is not currently running, but what from what he can tell it just needs a little bit of electrical work, some minor electrical work. Sure. He said, <laughs> "Sure it does." Sorry, go on. I said that out loud. I apologize. People can hear you. Anyway, so the body is free, he said of all rust, no corrosion. And so it's kind of like a clean slate here to start on. So the question around this car is, should he bring it back to its former glory of being this pristine, you know, late 80s sports car, the ode to, you know, cool front engine Porsches of that era, maintain the four-cylinder, five-speed factory interior and exterior, or should he go, you know, race seats, the turbo LS swap or something mm -hmm. like that, you know, crate motor wide wheels and tires, suspension, exhaust, fenders. Total resto model. On and on and on. It was a 944, and now it's a monster in the best way. You know, yeah. he's saying, is there enough historical significance to 944s in that sense? Or should he just kind of go nuts? 
and that's where he's actually debating. It's not this is an interesting debate. Should he keep it? Should yeah. he get rid of it? All that kind of stuff. It's really honestly about nine forty four, which we talk about often as cheap entry into track racing for sure. And the reason they were loved, if you don't know, is because of the weight balance on these cars. It was nearly perfect at fifty fifty weight distribution front and rear. That's why they're yeah. so beloved. And they're light, and they're very fun to drive. Yeah, and they, they had are. had multiple power uh, plants, but in all cases, they were never really a big powerhouse in the engine department. But they weren't very big, which made them great. I have two stages to my answer here. Okay. I, I want to talk to you about this in two different ways, James. The first thing I want to say is, to answer your 944 question, uh, you can do whatever you want to a 944. I, I, I don't think there's a, wait, you have to keep... It, it's a 944. They made a lot of them. They're worth nothing. Well, except for the one that just sold at auction at Monterey Weekend for in the seventy to 90,000 range, somewhere in there. It had 9,000 miles on it, but I just think... It's a 944. It's yeah. great. Yeah. I, I don't... And there were it the, rounds out somebody's car collection. It does. Yeah, and then they paid that money and they brag about that. Yeah. I mean, here's the thing. There were those, and I don't know them all, but there were those kind of one-off uh, turbo ones or homologation racer ones, and those might be worth some money. But you have just a, you have just a 944. So don't worry about what you do to it. I wouldn't mm-hmm. stress that at all. Mm-hmm. But my first comment to you is, my first stage of this, is get it as it currently exists running. Get that current engine turning over so you can drive that car around the block, down the street, whatever. You're saying just to see if you like it in the current configuration? Yes, Hmm. because that is the shortest distance between where you are and a car that moves. Sure. Just just get what it currently has running and get a sense of the car as it currently exists. Now, figure out, do I like this? Would I like to, to just refine this? Or do I feel like, eh, this is not that all compelling. I mean, it runs, but I just want more. Because if you've watched mm. our Mustang piece mm. from Season 3, I love the idea of resto mods. So my stack, second part of my recommendation for you is to go resto mod, but I want to caution you. This is the other reason I'm saying get it running first. Because the only way to go resto mod, and you've done, look, I'm looking at your car history. We, that's why we talked about it. You've done some heavy-duty, hardcore stuff to cars. Oh, yeah. So clearly oh, you yeah. have the experience. But my comment to you on the resto mod is only go down that road with this car if you have the combination of the time and the money to go big and do it all. Well, he's got, you know, the truck, the 63 C20 pickup that he's working on already. He's done that's a money stuff. pit going on. That's the thing. So I, I, I'm worried the problem with the resto mod and, and our great friend and shooter chance is, is an example of this. Yeah. It, it can have the list that never ends. It really can. So that's why I say get the 944 running mm-hmm. and then assess, do I want to go down this road? Because I love the idea of your finished product with the LS and the all modern suspension and brakes. And that could be a really cool, interesting car. We're actually going to do a fast blast soon of an LS swap 944. I'm very excited about it, <laughs> yeah. but, but here's the thing. I think it'll move. It's, it's going to be fine. Yeah. It, it, it'll, yeah. Yeah. It's going, going forward will not be its problem, but, but unless you can go big and you can dedicate to this and you know, it'll have an end and you're not going to run out of time and money. If, if you're worried about that, I just stay with it like it is. Hmm. I'm considering your first option here, and I like what you're saying about getting it running right now. Mm-hmm. And I like that it's got that 944S twin cam motor in it right now. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking along the lines of something that is very subtle with that 944. Mm, okay. Because it seems like people with 944s, either they're completely stock or they are race cars. And I haven't okay, seen sure. too many that are right in that sweet spot of subtle. It doesn't take you, you know, it, it takes you a while to notice the things on the car because everything all the parts that make it fast and make it a 
kind of a canyon driver and really a driver enthusiast car are mm-hmm. kind of hidden away. Okay. Brake upgrades, power upgrades, all that stuff is just hidden away. It's neat and tidy and clean, okay. very subtle with this car. And I think that could ultimately appeal to you more in the long term instead of having this monster thing and I've thrown parts at it. Chance, on the other hand, has an opportunity to go parts because that's the entire makeup of his car. Sure. To make it, you know what, I'm going to add this part that I know will do blank to the car. Mm -hmm, It'll mm -hmm. engage the steering feel or whatever that is, braking Mm -hmm. power. But with you on this 944, I think really just a clean, tidy, tight, the more subtle that you can go and have some restraint with the exterior... But, you know, everything underneath is just, you know, kind of wearing red silk boxers underneath your tuxedo kind of thing. Just subtle, clean, and and then people start to notice, you know, wow, that's a nickel-plated trim. That's different. (laughs) It's it's sort of like I'm working my way towards this. It's like the poor man's Singer 911. Sure. At first glance, you see those and you think, oh, kind of a stanced, kind of an older 911. Mm. And then you move close and you think, nickel-plated trim perfectly quilted engine interiors, a Cosworth-built engine. What What on earth is this thing? <laughs> All the money I will ever have in the entire world yeah. in one car. Yeah, exactly. Wrapped up in one car. It's, you know, and go f- approach this from a, everything that is amazing about the car is hidden away. And it's worth discovering only by virtue of driving it. Mm. And then that will appeal to you longer because it, if it does have that stock, clean, beautiful interior it's not just crazy race seat sure yeah, crazy yeah. roll bar and crazy this i don't think you're gonna love driving it long term you'll complete the project and think throwing a bunch of money into this thing that hmm. i don't really want to go drive now hmm. i don't know what to do with it interesting but if you pull back like you're making a modern you know cayman or a modern m2 yeah. or something yeah. like that that it's just subtle enough but everything hidden away it's that just rocket ship but it's a driver's enthusiast car and ultimately i think that will appeal to a future buyer Interesting. I like it. I like it. That's very good. It's very good. Uh, I think we've covered that. Can we go into the many, many, many questions? And thank you for the questions. There's so many good ones tonight. There We're are. We're going to cover them all. But, all right. But jump in. Somewhere. I'm going to jump in with, with uh, Kenny Sean writing in on Facebook. I, I don't have a, a big list here, but I want to help you out a little bit. You're moving from Washington, D.C. to Dallas, Texas, and you're driving. You're driving a 10-foot box trailer, and you're, you're towing. Your Scion FRS on the back. You've never driven a box truck or towed anything, mm, any tips. Yeah. I'm going to tell you two real quick. Have you had any experience at all driving 20-foot vans? Yeah. <clears throat> Here, I'm going to tell you two real quick that are going to seem obvious, but figure out and memorize what side of the truck the fuel filler is. So the minute you pull up to a gas station, you know exactly what side you need to be on. It's excellent. Figure that out. And the other thing I'm going to say is strategize. When you're doing things like your uh, your bathroom stops or 7-Eleven stops or dinner or gas or whatever, strategize. Figure out in the parking lot, how can I pull through here so I do not have to back up? Excellent choice. Yeah. Now, there will be situations like that. that maybe you have to, but but I'm just telling you, you will save so much hassle if you just create a through line of, okay, I'm going to come in here and I'm going to stop at the fuel island and I can steep, keep going straight and I can get out. Mm. Because... Backing up, especially with the trailer, is going to be so much more difficult than anything you've done before. Save yourself the hassle. Oh, that's excellent. There's a question over here on Instagram from Ted87 asking about shopping for a car. And he says, is it possible to test drive too many cars? (laughs) I don't think so. Okay. I don't think so. I'm going to caveat that a little bit. But he also says, if you're interested in many models or not really sure what you want, how do you go about test drives without annoying the salesperson? Well, right there, it's multiple dealerships. Yeah. There, it's, you know, multiple locations. And 
if you're shopping used, well, you've got a whole opportunity to kind of pick and choose, kind of sprinkle your test drives around. You're not mm, just at mm. one dealer. If you're attracted to one car... <laughs> annoy more than one person in right. town. Like it. <laughs> it's an equal opportunity yes. annoyance. You're all being annoyed by me. This is Car Row, and I'm here for all of you. Exactly. All right. I'm thinking about your question about test driving too many cars. You've got to narrow things down, just like Todd and I do. You're asking for a specific category, I would say. You know kind of the uses of the car, and so that narrows you down to... All right, I'm shopping in the Miata, F, you know, FRS, Toyota 86 kind of category. Or, mm-hmm. you know what? I need a CUV. I need something in that arena. Yeah. And you're starting to narrow things down by price. You're not going to go drive a, you know, a hundred thousand dollar something. Obviously, when your budget's twenty. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. So you're obviously you have kind of the list you want to target. And since they're different brands, obviously you're going to be shopping at dealerships inherently, just because you've got different cars to shop for. But sprinkle things out around, mm-hmm. and then. You know, if you really like one or two, go back for a second drive. I think that could be very informative. And then also work with your salesperson, whoever that is, to get off the pre-planned route and ask them for a little bit longer time. And if you're yeah, really serious, yeah, yeah. this is now about a car, yeah. more narrowing down in the purchasing process. You know you're getting closer. Mm-hmm. But ask them about, do you have something else? You know, what else can you offer me as far as a route? Or, you know, can, you, can I leave my license, you know, a copy of my license and... Um, take it home for the evening. You know, a lot of companies are doing that. They're letting you take take cars home for the, yeah, the evening and yeah. return it in the morning, something yeah, like yeah. that. So, no, I don't think it's possible to drive too many cars, but you have to – you're not just driving everything. You're not driving pickup trucks to Miatas to – no, you know, you're driving in that category. But mm. I think it really informs your decision-making. Interesting. I have two questions that are very similar. They speak to the why should I care about this. Okay, one is S. Vicentius on uh, – uh, Instagram, and the other one is SaberCav writing in on Twitter. Okay. Mm-hmm. The first question asked Vicentius is, tell me why I should care about heel towing if I never go to the track. Oh, yeah, good. And SaberCav with, uh, why turn off traction control on the track for hard driving? These are uh, explain this to me questions. I'm going to try to go real quick on both of these. Heel towing, you never go to the track? Fine. The great thing about heel towing, if you do it well, is you can make the car move smoother than it even does with an automatic. If you if if somebody shifts badly, there is that that rock forward and rock back every time they shift, rock forward, rock back, rock forward, especially when they downshift. It just when somebody shifts a manual transmission badly, that just happens. Mm. You get with somebody that heel toes really really well. There was a, there was a car service that sounds really much higher than it is, but there was there was a guy that ran like a private car service when we lived in England as kids. When I lived in as a kid, okay, okay. All right. my family always took this. I mean, he was like a, a neighbor kind of guy. Took people to the airport. And my dad always marveled. Of course, I was less than 10 years old, so I didn't understand. My dad always marveled. He couldn't figure out how this guy was able to drive a manual transmission so smoothly. It wasn't until you and I started driving, I started heel-towing, that I suddenly realized back to that time, he was heel-towing all the time. No kidding. It was one of the smoothest driving experiences. You never felt the transmission, but he was up there shifting all the time. I remember that visual in my head. That's cool. Of course, I had no awareness of it. So that's the difference. You also will wear out parts uh, less fast. You put less stress on things like your clutch if you heel-toe. So there's a difference there. On the traction control on the track, why you turn it off is one of two things. You'd like to crash. No, no, I'm kidding. Uh, No. (laughs) No. The thing is, if you get into a really high-horsepower car, turning it all the way off is probably not smart. But the reason that it gets turned off is this. And I've done this. You know, Watch our pilgrimage film. Watch lots of our stuff. I've done this. The reason is because it's intrusive. You're in the midst of driving a car. 
trying to find the limits, trying to find what it does, trying to find if I do this, what will the car do? And then if you think about it, a third party steps in and goes, I'm going to interrupt you for a minute and I'm going to do this other little thing. So now you're having a three-way conversation. Yeah. You're fighting the trash control who's trying to also control the car. The benefit of turning it off is, now the downside is, you could be in the tire wall. But the benefit of turning it off is, what you do is a, one way, is a two-way conversation with the car. You do something, and the car responds. There's nobody else to catch you. So you start to understand how your movements relate. You get in a big enough car, you become a big enough bonehead, there's no one to save you, and here comes the tire wall. I would add something. That's excellent, by the way. I would add something to that and say it like this, and that is track driving is so different than street driving yeah. that the traction control is really designed for street driving, and the, the type of and technique of driving on track mm. is very antithetical to what that traction control wants point. to control. That's a good point, yeah. And so you might be in control, but you're at higher speeds. You might be doing the line perfectly fine, but then on corner exit, maybe you're getting it a little sideways out of the corner. Mm-hmm. Well, that's very sort of anti what the traction oh, control is going to out. allow, yeah. and therefore it kicks in, cuts your speed, which actually can be kind of dangerous because you've got cars all around you, even in an HBD setting, mm. you know, a, a driver's event setting. You've got cars around you, and if you suddenly lose power because it cuts your fuel, interesting. then, yeah. whoa, well, that's the car intruding, as you said. Mm-hmm. And you might have things perfectly under control. You know what to do out of the corner, yeah. but the car is kind of intruding on you so with the high horsepower cars i'll say the holes in the safety net just get a little bigger maybe well, a lot bigger hopefully there's lots of settings and so they keep giving you more of the full ability of the car hopefully mm-hmm, mm-hmm. all right well that leads me to motor misfit on instagram mm. who asked us if something were to happen to both the cayman and the lotus I knock on this, wood yeah. yes i'm knocking on wood what car would we buy today we would get mm. the full amount the car was worth and we need to quickly buy another car using only this cash from the insurance company. Hmm. The only caveat or exception is I cannot buy a Porsche or a BMW and you cannot buy a Lotus. What would we buy? Yeah. Hmm. I have my two cars. Do you? You have two. Wow. Yeah. Good for you. Uh, so I'm walking with roughly 30 grand. Okay. Hmm. Okay, you go. I think I've got an answer, but you go. I'm going to say the Cayman, I would get at least 60 I mean, Probably I've been seeing for your GTS, pristine yeah. GTSs, you know, 75 with a few thousand yeah, yeah. miles. So let's call it between 60, 65, somewhere in there, okay. maybe. Okay. Yeah. I'm waffling between the Mustang GT350R Ooh. or the Corvette C706 because the oh, one that we had good. in our film both was good. purchased used for $65,000. Yes, and it was, it was great. It was great. And it's now, got loads good. of actually sub-settings within the track, traction control yeah, on and off. Yeah, it does. 30 grand. Those are good. Those are really yeah, good. Yeah, those two. Grand. Um, I'm going to list three, I think. And the first one, I, I think I d- can't really count, but I'm going to do it anyway. And okay. the first one is, right. I might get a Cayman. That's great. But, <laughs> yeah, we could turn this but, on, but, on but, its but, ear but, and say, but, but, but. suddenly I'd get on the lease, you'd feel get like, a Cayman. I right. feel like that's like finding a loophole. So I'm going to kind of chuck that okay. out. I, mean, I have All to right. put it out there, but I'm going to kind of chuck that out. Two I can think of, both of which I think if I shopped really smart, I could find both of them. Okay. Used. Okay. The Mazda Miata RF. Good. And the C6 Z06 with the 7 liter. <laughs> those cars couldn't be more different, but both they of are. those for around 30 grand should be possible, and I would enjoy driving both of those immensely. Huh. I like that. I could see you in both of those, actually. Very different reasons. Yeah. Completely different cars, but Enjoying yeah. them for both different reasons. Interesting. All right, what else you got on here? Uh, Mystic Negro asked a question that I think is really interesting. It took me a minute to think about this, but then I landed on it. 
we all look we all experienced cars before we could drive the exact same way and that is we we took in information maybe you take it in on video maybe you've read it on a magazine whatever but you've taken in information from other reviewers and you have you have concluded rightly or wrongly the important things about cars mm. Mm. now then you start driving and some of that gets changed but you and I have driven so many things he's asking okay what things did we feel like were important about cars that now that we've driven so much we've gone no that's not important anymore I, 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 that doesn't matter to me and I have two. Fourteen-year-old me. Okay. <laughs> All right. Thank God YouTube wasn't around because I would have been that guy in the comments. Anyway, fourteen-year-old <laughs> me was obsessed with what many of us are obsessed with early on in cars, and that is how fast is the zero to sixty? Okay. And well, actually, three things: how fast is zero to sixty? What's the top power? And what's the top speed? I don't care anymore right they are all three of those are irrelevant to me and i have my son who who is already car obsessed he's nine these are his questions Hmm. his questions are is it faster than the lotus what's the top speed and how much is the horsepower and he he is already kind of equating how good a car is based on that and these are the things look that sell magazines that get video clicks that i I get it it's the benchmark but you're but your zero to 60 is mostly irrelevant in normal life the fact that you have 700 horsepower and i have 650 does not matter. Hmm. The fact that your car can do 210, but you personally will never drive it over 70, makes that irrelevant too. Yeah. I like small, light, I don't need much power, the zero to 60, I forgot. You know what I mean? I just, mm-hmm. I, I don't care. Mm-hmm. So these are the things that have changed. I am so much about what is the handling dynamic feel. Look at the cars I own. Come on. I own a Lotus Elise, mm-hmm. which, you know, mm-hmm. it, it never wins the stat war, ever, unless it's, <laughs> what's the lightest weight car you can think of? That's about the only time it wins, you know? So that's the stuff I've thrown out. All right. Ian R is on Facebook over here asking, what's better on track, handling or traction? Wow. Hmm. Quite the debate. Hmm. Quite the debate. Okay. It's... Uh, one of those things where it depends on the car very much, of course. Well, then where's the line between those two? It's fuzzy. Yeah. It's really fuzzy yeah, because, yeah. you know, you can argue that a heavy car that has a lot of traction, like a Nissan GTR, yeah. it's not going to have great handling, but you're going to destroy everybody on track. Mm, interesting. I see but what kind of feel sure. do you want to get out of your track experience is mm-hmm. my question. Do you want to feel like you're driving the car or is the car taking you around the track and you're a passenger? That's your ultimate thinking. And then... Kind of tacked onto that is your driving abilities. Mm, Track driving mm. is ultimately designed to make you better as a driver, mm. right? That's why we love it and do it, and we're we're this getting better this as drivers by tracking our cars. I just thought thought of my my way into this question. Just now struck me. Okay, I'm going to stay in one automaker's cars, and I'm going to make I'm trying to make this make sense. Okay, Toyota, you have the opportunity to track a Camry with sticky race tires. Sure, sure. And then FRS 86 with the stock eco tires. Ooh. Okay? Ooh. The Camry is going to grip better than that FRS all day long. It's going to have better grip yeah. all day long. Yeah. But it is front-wheel drive. It has much more body roll. It's not going to respond in an agile way because of the Camry setup. Conversely, mm. the FRS 86 with a great chassis and fantastic handling, it may slide out at every corner, but you're going to be able to catch it. It's going to be docile. It's going to have good handling and an enjoyable experience. I would say, based on that definition, handling is more important than traction from a fun perspective. I bet you in my equation, the Camry gets the better lap time, but the FRS 86 would be more fun. 
traction is obviously important Completely. if you're wanting to win races. It's the number one thing I did to my car was I put better tires on my FRS. Absolutely. But handling for what we most do, and that's the fun track day, yeah. none of us are really racers. Well, with the exception of a few people, but you know, unless mm-hmm. you're really out to win races, I don't know that Lama drivers are really concerned about handling over traction. I think they're... It's important. They've got to have a feel for the car, but ultimately they want that car to stick when they throw it in. But when, when a but car, it's a fine line, yeah, too. It could it, be argued is, the other this way. This could be so blurred completely. But it ultimately depends on the car and what you're wanting to get out of your driving skills on that track day. Yeah. Interesting. That one that one practically is a Topic Tuesday that just ends in an argument, I think. It just it doesn't does. really go anywhere. It's it fun, does. though. It does. Well, that's what Topic Tuesdays are about. <laughs> okay, there's a, a yacht question on here that I have to talk about from A. McFarlane. What do I think about this Lexus yacht? Okay, good. I'm glad you're covering this. This is sorbet for the car yeah, world I right know. now. I, I will not speak about yachts. We're I'll into just water climbing. right now. We're into boats. Does this <laughs> Lexus yacht that was just released, it's a 65-footer, does it complement the Lexus brand from the design perspective? And this is, is this a better execution of a car company's design language on a boat than, say, this Donzi that Porsche Design did from 2008? Mm-hmm. I would say that car companies allow themselves to do special exercises like this to explore new form language, mm. both interior and exterior, and also what the car's function does. Boats, you've got every nook and cranny that designers love to figure out what feature or function could be crammed into that corner of the boat, because boats need to. They've got to do so much. Well, it's got a cabin, and you've got you know sleeping quarters and a galley and all this stuff, and so you've got to figure out where can all this stuff be placed and how clever can you be with space utilization whereas the car is not necessarily that it's to a degree but then these special projects whether it's furniture or cameras audi was doing leica cameras i think for a little while Hmm. Uh, there's been designers who have done pianos and then these yachts Hmm. it's just Hmm. a different form language applying your same design skills to that getting you thinking creatively in a different way okay does it matter to the bottom line of this brand and are they making money? No. I I don't know that that's the impetus for doing projects like this, but to keep things fresh and help them explore more for the future and where that's taking the brand and then from a market position brand, I think they want feedback from their customers and then that helps the designers explore new things for the future. Hmm. Okay. It's, it's cathartic, honestly, for designers to go there, design there's... footwear it's or a eyeglasses I get that. or okay, it's a something. Sure. Okay. You know? All right. It, it just it helps keep things fresh because it's so easy. You can get stale really quickly in a design studio. Interesting. How about a track daily crush? Gabriel on Instagram had uh, Fiesta ST, Fiat Abart, Honda Fit. Track daily crush. Oh, oh. The, the, Where are you on this? The Honda Fit is a compelling case for the daily, I have to admit. But I actually would I would daily the Abart. Would I you? I would crush the Fit and I would track the ST. Uh, the ST really does shine on track, It's the track it? car of those three. That's almost sure. kind of a foregone conclusion. Yeah. But the fit doesn't it doesn't fit. It doesn't fit anywhere. <laughs> I mean in what I want out of a car. There's 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 really very little wrong with it, honestly, but I would rather drive the Fiat five hundred uh, a Bart. I'm kinda of with you on that. That's crazy. All right. Well guys, thank you for the amazing questions. We'll continue to get to these. I really appreciate it. Thanks a million. Looking forward to next time. Cheers.
Let's consider the secret life of the innermost nesting doll. Living most of her life in the dark, inside the other nesting dolls, she has plenty of time to think, if she could. Sadly, she has no brain. However, when an innermost nesting doll hears that Geico not only saves people money, but also has been providing great service for over 75 years, she thinks it's obvious you should switch. Because yes, switching to Geico is a no-brainer. Pity the innermost nesting doll and her lot in life. ADT can design and install a smart home just for you, backed by 24-7 protection. A new smart home at your service, customized for your lifestyle. Set up custom automations unique to your home to automatically do the things like lock the doors or set the thermostat when you leave. Even close your garage door from virtually anywhere. ADT will set up your home with multiple smart home devices and security features like indoor and outdoor cameras, locks, lights, and garage door control, even video doorbells. Visit ADT.com slash podcasts to learn more about how ADT can design and install a secure smart home just for you.